Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you for being here. It's great to see you. Um, my name is Daryl, and I'm a volunteer meditation instructor for Columbus KTC. Um, on Sunday mornings, when Lama Kathy is away, we um, devote our Dharma talks to selected Dharma books. And um, this morning, we're continuing a discussion that's been underway for a little while now. And we're talking about the seven points of mind training by the venerable Kenshin Trangu Rinpoche. Um, some of you have probably heard me introduce this book um, before. Uh, if you have, bear with me. So I do want to say a few words about the text and the author, and, and then we'll, um, we'll keep going. Um, this book is a manual of Mahayana Buddhist practice. And what it does is it tells us how to develop compassion and wisdom and ultimately attain Buddhahood. And it focuses on two parts of practice, how to practice on the cushion and how to practice off the cushion in our daily life. The author, uh, Thranga Rinpoche, is an eminent teacher in the Karmakaju lineage, which is our lineage here at KTC. The sources of the teachings in this text, the sources of the mind training teachings, are the sutras, the words of the Buddha, and the shastras, the commentaries on the Buddha's words. And these teachings were collected and condensed by Atisha, the 11th century Indian master. Now, in previous talks, we've been making our way through the seven points or topics. Again, the title of the text is The Seven Points of Mind Training. So we're talking about seven key elements of mind training. And the first one of these is the preliminary practices. And in the preliminary practices, what we're doing is a collection of practices that are all about making us a fit container for the main practice. So that's the first topic or point of mind training. The second one is the main practice. And the main practice is the two bodhicittas. These are relative bodhicitta and ultimate bodhicitta. And bodhicitta is a Sanskrit word that translates as mind of awakening. And the mind of awakening is the mind that wants to attain enlightenment in order to liberate all beings and establish them in a state of lasting happiness. So training in ultimate bodhicitta helps us develop wisdom, and training in relative bodhicitta helps us develop loving kindness and compassion. The third point of mind training, that was the second point, the third point of mind training is what we've been talking about for two Sundays. Um, and this is how to transform adverse conditions into the path of awakening. So in other words, we've been talking about how to practice when we encounter difficulties, 
when bad stuff comes along. And uh, previously, we've talked about um, the first two points, uh, or first two sections of this third point. And the first section is relying on relative bodhicitta to transform adverse conditions. And this means this technique is basically decreasing our self-cherishing and increasing our cherishing of others. So to practice relative bodhicitta, to bring difficulties onto the path, this is what we do. Last time, we talked about the second part of transforming adverse conditions. And we talked about relying on ultimate bodhicitta to do this. And I want to review this a little bit because it's kind of a, a um, tough topic to talk about, or at least it was for me. So the slogan of instruction is to see confusion as the four kayas, the protection of emptiness is insurpassable. So we're talking about seeing confusion. Uh, and clearly, this slogan is about relating to our confusion. Now, according to commentary by Trungpa Rinpoche, not Tranga Rinpoche, but Trungpa Rinpoche, we don't deal with our confusion by trying to get rid of it. Instead, we look at our confusion, and we look and see clearly. And this is not, when we talk about looking, we're not talking about thinking about something. We're talking about looking. But in looking, we begin to see how our mind functions. And we see that whatever comes up always follows the same process. In engaging in this looking, we can see the transparency of our thoughts. So in other words, we see very clearly for ourselves that our thoughts are like clouds in the sky. And this means, when we see this, that we can connect with the space within ourselves. In other words, we can connect with the vast sky-like nature of mind. Now, Trungpa Rinpoche says, the four kayas, the four bodies of the Buddha that are cited in this slogan, that they actually describe a continual process of awakening. So what we're saying is that even when we're in our confusion, we're actually in the middle of a continual process of waking up. And Trungpa Rinpoche says, through meditation, we begin to see how each perception, so each momentary perception, begins in a certain way. And how does it begin? It begins with uncertainty and openness. And he says, this is the Dharmakaya, one of the four bodies of the Buddha. Then, next, the perception begins to take form. And this is the, the Nirmanakaya. Then, the perception develops energy and really begins to cohere 
in an energetic form. And this is the Sambhogakaya. And then finally, the perception um, clicks into place. It clicks as present experience. And this is the Swabhavikakaya. So this process of continual awakening, seeing confusion as the four kayas, according to our slogan, um, concludes with letting go. And this is what is meant by the protection of emptiness, is this process of seeing and then letting go. So again, this slogan is saying we deal with confusion by seeing it clearly, by looking and seeing. And as we look, we see that confusion appears to be solid and intractable, unworkable, but it's actually fundamentally empty. So it's like clouds in the sky. So another way of talking about this is to say that we see beneath or behind our concepts and we see that underlying our concepts are the mind's three fundamental qualities, openness, lucidity, and unimpededness. So we see that our state of being is actually the union of emptiness and awareness. Now, um, another great teacher, the um, previous Kalu Rinpoche, said um, he has some really helpful things to say about this topic in his book, Luminous Mind, which we've studied previously during these Dharma talks. So here's what he says. He says, the mind, being naturally empty, is forever the Dharmakaya, the body of emptiness, or the absolute body of Buddha. So here he's commenting on the mind's openness. Then he says, being naturally lucid, the mind is always the same Bogakaya, the complete enjoyment body of Buddha. So here we're talking about the mind's lucidity or clarity. And then he goes on, and since the mind is naturally unlimited knowledge, it is forever the Nirmanakaya, the manifestation body of Buddha. So here we're talking about the mind's unimpededness. And he continues, so mind is always by nature the three bodies of the Buddha, naturally and spontaneously free. So he's referring to the three bodies of the Buddha. Our slogan is talking about the four. But the fourth one is the Swabhavikakaya, which is the union of these three that Kalu Rinpoche is describing. And then he concludes by saying, nothing could possibly be done to improve their perfection. So he's talking about the perfection of these three qualities of mind. Or in other words, we're talking about the perfection of mind. So um, that's by way of a review 
uh, of what we talked about last time. And that is actually the second part of transforming adverse conditions or difficulties. And we're talking here about using uh, ultimate bodhicitta to do that. Now, our topic for this morning is the third and final part of transforming difficulties. And that is um, all about using what are called special practices. So we can see here we have three ways to transform difficulties. And now we're going to talk about the third way. Um, since we uh, got a little later start than usual this morning, uh, we'll dispense with the refuge prayer. But uh, let's just take a moment to um, briefly, um, in our hearts, think that we're going to listen to the teachings, contemplate them, and bring them into our practice in order to benefit others as much as we can. So we'll just all uh, take a moment to do that here and uh, then uh, dispense with the um, outer form of that for this morning. So thank you. Um, so this morning's talk is all about using special practices to bring adverse conditions onto the path. And our slogan, um, as, as you've seen, um, we have these brief slogans of instruction that encapsulate the teachings. And our first slogan for this morning is, um, as it's translated in this book, not in Trungpa Rinpoche's book, the four applications are the best method. So um, what are we talking about here? Um, Trungpa Rinpoche says these four applications or four methods that we're about to talk about um, are the very best ways to eliminate all of our pain and suffering and to bring happiness to ourselves and all beings. And he says these four methods are, number one, accumulating merit, number two, confessing negative actions, number three, offering tormas, making offerings to gods and demons, and number four is making offerings to dakinis and protectors. So uh, this is what we're going to be talking about. Um, and we'll begin with the first one, which is accumulating merit. Trungpa Rinpoche um, begins his discussion um, saying that we may actually wonder whether it's, it's really possible to create conditions that are conducive to Dharma practice and we may wonder whether it's actually really possible to get rid of our suffering. And he says the answer to this question is, this is possible, and this is possible because everything has a cause. And he says the cause of happiness is 
virtuous or positive activity. And to expand on this, he says that happiness, good health, prosperity, all the things that we look for, that we think of as happiness, as well-being, result from the ripening of previous positive actions of body, speech, and mind. So past wholesome karmic actions. And he says the very most important of these and we've heard Kempo Rinpoche teach on this many times. The very most important of these is positive intention. But also important, in addition to positive intention, are positive physical actions or behavior and positive speech. So all of these constitute the accumulation of merit. And Trungpa Rinpoche says, when we train in creating merit, because that's what we're really talking about here, we ensure that positive circumstances are going to follow. They're going to be in the future. And that negative circumstances will subside. We'll see fewer of those. Now, Lama Kathy has said that accumulating merit is a way to, um, in her words, displace bad karma with good. And this is also a way to improve our inner atmosphere. And what we mean by that is that when we accumulate merit, and this is not just a theory, when we start doing it, we see what this means. We, we feel, we know, we experience what this is. When we accumulate merit, we generate a positive inner momentum. So again, this isn't just something we talk about. This is something that we experience as soon as we start accumulating merit. So um, this is the first of the four special practices, accumulating merit. And again, Trungpa Rinpoche says this is the best way to ensure happiness for ourselves and for others one of the best ways. So the second special method is confession of negative actions. And Trungpa Rinpoche says that to accumulate merit, we also need to be freed from our previous negative karma. So it's not enough to just generate positive actions. We also need to work on freeing ourselves from previous negative actions. And um, he explains that when we talk about the ripening of karma, which, of course, is, is part of our discussion here, he says what we mean by that is that um, situations have repercussions. And we ought to make a bumper sticker that says that. Situations have repercussions. And what that means is that karma ripens. And negative karma ripens into negative situations. So one of the ways to reduce these negative situations or repercussions is through the power of confession. And he draws a contrast between how we normally 
behave uh, when we sort of catch ourselves or someone else catches us doing something that maybe is not as positive as it might be. Um, many times what we do is we do something bad and then we sort of rigidly justify our behavior and justify ourselves. And he says if we do that, um, we're strengthening a rigid, self-justifying attitude, and it becomes more and more impossible to actually change our behavior and to change our negative patterns. But so what we want to do is the opposite. So we want to acknowledge and regret our hurtful actions and not self-justify, not justify our negative actions. Because again, if we do, um, we become more rigid, more entrenched in uh, this self-justification, in this hardness and rigidity, and more difficult to change. So what we want to do is loosen and soften our attitude and regret what we've done. And then he says, as we soften and open, we actually have the possibility of gradually chipping away at and letting go of our negative pattern of behavior, whatever it might be. So what this means, of course, is that we can gradually change our ways and really turn ourselves into another kind of person. Now, um, Trunga Rinpoche doesn't discuss the four powers of confession right here in this section, um, but we need to mention these briefly. And um, I want to um, uh, make a note here that Lama Kathy has a great download or two on confession as a daily practice. And um, these can be found on her website at lamakathy.net. So if you want to read about how to practice confession and how to think about it, um, check out lamakathy.net. Um, and on uh, her site, she talks about the four powers of confession. So I'm just going to briefly mention these. The first power of confession is called reliance. And these, these all begin with R, so they're easier to remember. Um, so the first power is reliance. And what this means is that we rely on the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. So to practice, we sit down in front of an image of the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, or we can visualize them in front of us. And we rely on them as objects of refuge and as um, witnesses of our confession. And this is not like telling our, our partner or or a family member, um, these witnesses are flawless and their compassion is um, uh, 100%. So reliance is the first power of confession. The second power is renunciation. And what this means is that we review our actions, we actually understand that they're wrong, and we regret them, we renounce them. So with um, renunciation or regret, 
what this means in detail is we really recognize that we've committed harm in two ways. We've harmed other people, and we've also harmed our path to Buddhahood. So it's, uh, the harm is twofold. So that's the second power of confession. The third power is remedy. And the remedy is to recite a liturgy of confession, a prayer, um, with the intention that this will remedy and repair the wrong that we've done. And, of course, the heart of this is to really mean it. So we don't just mouth the words. We, we recite from the heart as best we can. We're as sincere and committed about it as we can be. So that's the third power of confession. The fourth power is resolution or resolve. And what this means is that in our recitation of the confession, that we, part of this is resolving to never again commit the negative action that, that we are um, confessing. And really, if we don't have this resolve or resolution, really what this means is that our um, confession is ineffective. And um, Kempo Kartha Rinpoche has uh, taught, uh, you can read about this in Dharma Paths and, um, and in uh, Excellent at the beginning. So those are the four powers of confession. And um, again, this is the second of the four methods for bringing difficulties onto the path of awakening. So that brings us to the third method, third special practice, which is making offerings to gods and demons. Now, um, as soon as we begin to talk about this one, we have to talk a little bit about what we mean by gods and demons. Those are kind of um, loaded words um, in a lot of different ways. And um, there are various ways to, to think about these. Um, Ken McLeod, the translator of The Great Path of Awakening, um, he defines gods and demons as the forces and influences in our life that sort of shape and determine our personality and environment. And um, so that's his take on gods and demons. Lama Kathy has a very similar but slightly different way of talking about gods and demons. She says these are forces and influences in our life related to our obsession with samsara, which is a little more pointed, and uh, that says it. Um, if we want to be uh, sort of more general in talking about gods and demons, we can safely say that these are expressions of sort of the challenging forces and influences in our life. And um, if we want a very detailed discussion of gods and demons, the notes section of The Great Path of Awakening, specifically notes number 65 and 68, um, you can read all about it. But 
One of the key points in talking about making offerings to gods and demons is that we have to acknowledge and respect and kind of make friends with these influences and forces. And we have to do that in a constructive, skillful way. And Trangu Rinpoche explains that the formal way we do this, a frequent, a frequent um, occurrence of this or example of this, is when a Vajrayana initiation or empowerment is given and a ritual food offering called a torma is made. And when this torma is offered, it is offered to obstructing uh, forces or demons. And he says, we make this offering because it's possible that there are obstructive forces out there that may try to create an obstacle for us um, that may be uh, an obstacle in our receiving the initiation, the empowerment, and, and doing the practice. So the Torma is an acknowledgement that if an obstruction or harm occurs, it can't be pacified by anger, by resentment, by retaliation. In other words, if we want to think of this more simply, what we're talking about is recognizing either in an empowerment or in our daily life that we're going to bump up against obstructions, difficulties, and that the skillful, um, constructive way to respond is not with anger, irritation, retaliation, but instead with patience, love, and compassion. So, um, from our Western point of view, offering a torma to gods and demons may seem foreign to us, but really what we're doing is offering to whatever non-human beings may or may not be present as a symbol of peace and friendship. It's basically an offering of bodhicitta in the hope that obstacles will not arise. But again, the key point is whether, no matter who we're dealing with, it may be non-humans, it may be humans, it may be someone who really dislikes us, but no matter who it is, the only way to skillfully address the situation is to defuse it with love and compassion. So that's the key point. Whether we believe in God's and demons or not. So that's the third special method. The fourth special method is making offerings to Dakinis and protectors. And um, very briefly, Dakinis and protectors are simply expressions of enlightened activity. So we said gods and demons were the challenging forces in our lives. Dakinis and protectors are the positive forces in our lives. Now, Lama Kathy describes these as um, equivalent to the angels of Western religion. And Trangu Rinpoche um, says that offering tormas to 
bikinis and protectors is like offering help to a friend and receiving help in return. So in other words, we all know that if we have a friend and, and offer them help, them help um, that help is likely to be returned or reciprocated. So um, it's probably important to pause here and say that a key point in this discussion of making offerings to gods and demons or dakinis and protectors is that as daily meditation practice opens us and softens us, we do gradually become aware of subtle positive and negative forces, influences, and currents in our experience. And so the point here in these special practices of making offerings is that we're trying to relate to these subtle currents in skillful, constructive ways. We need to make friends with these somehow. And making offerings is a way to do this. And it's certainly the, the traditional Vajrayana method. So, Trungpa Rinpoche says, the reason we use these four methods of accumulating merit, making confession, making offerings, the reason we do this is to eliminate the belief that we're more important than others. And this is a really key point. So, again, our, our whole discussion this morning is all about confronting difficulties, dealing with adverse circumstances. And he's saying that the fundamental thing we need to do when we encounter difficulties is to recognize, to remember that we're not more important than anyone else. So this brings us to uh, the next slogan, the final slogan of instruction this morning. And um, this slogan, again, the translation is from here, is whatever you meet, instantly join it with meditation. So the practices that we just talked about, the, the methods of, of accumulating merit, confession, making offerings, those are all about practicing on the cushion. But this slogan is talking about our post-meditation off the cushion. And again, it says, whatever you meet, instantly join it with meditation. So this slogan is addressing what we should do when we're suddenly taken by surprise and encounter difficulty. So... It's sudden, it's unexpected, and it's difficult. What do we do? Trungpa Rinpoche says often when we find ourselves in a situation like this, we actually turn away from practice. But this slogan is specifically advising us to not be swayed by negative appearances, um, but instead to use the, whatever the circumstance is to strengthen our determination to practice no matter what. 
even when circumstances um, suddenly turn bad. So what we're saying here is that whatever we encounter should be used in our practice, should be brought into the path of Dharma. So, in other words, when things are difficult, when we're caught off guard, um, we can think, may self-cherishing decrease in me and in all living beings. But likewise, when we have a moment of enjoyment of positivity, we can also think, may all beings experience happiness. So in other words, the idea is no matter what happens, we can always practice loving kindness, compassion, and wisdom. So we have just five minutes, but that's enough time for a question or two. And uh, so if anyone has a question, uh, the microphone is set up over here. Please um, step right up and uh, we'll do our best to respond. Thanks, Daryl. That was a great outline. I have a question about making offerings. Um, on the cushion, I know that you can offer Torma if you make Torma, and I would wager that most of us don't. Um, sometimes I offer cookies or a juice box or something, but it seems to me that the uh, um, mental part of it, making mental offerings is important as well, and I wondered if you could say more about that. It's like uh, when you're, I've, I've read about making mental offerings, um, but what specifically are we doing there? How do we yeah. do that? Uh, what are we offering and who are we offering it to and how does okay. that all work? That's a great question. Um, yeah, as, as you say, most of us are not making tormas and offering tormas. I, I'm certainly not. And um, for some of us, we may have, um, we make, make the uh, traditional offerings that we see on the shrine here. Um, and then for many of us, we may make, um, we may just offer a, a single bowl of water that contains, um, that stands in for all of the traditional offerings. And of course, one of the traditional offerings is a, a, a torma, a food offering of some kind. And cookies are a good way to go. I've, I've ordered, offered uh, cookies and um, chocolate torma, which is a Hershey bar. Um, yeah. But um, but really, you make a really good point that that fundamentally our offering is is I mean we can put stuff on our shrine, but if we're not making a mental offering, then what's really the point of that? Um, 
my cat used to jump up on the shrine and, and you know, drink water out of the water offering. Um, so I guess, you know, if I didn't mentally make an offering, well, the cat benefited. But, um, yeah, we need to mentally make the offering. And what that means is um, imagining as clearly as we can in as um, expansive a way uh, that we're offering ourselves and offering our entire world, our, our self and our experience, our inner experience, our outer experience, that we're offering all of that to the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, thinking that it's going to be multiplied infinitely in order to benefit all beings as much as possible. And the more um, expansive that we can be with that, the better. And we can be as, um, I mean, it's going to be different for each one of us. But the key with the offering practice, mental offering, uh, it's the same as the rest of our practice, that we want to bring as much sincerity and commitment to it in that moment as we possibly can. And if we think for some reason that we didn't do very well, we can always think tomorrow I'm going to do better. But in other words, we want to be as sincere, as committed. We want to um, let go of and um, give of ourself and our universe as expansively as we can. That I, that's the best way I know of. Any any other questions? Thanks, Daryl. Uh, your last point about dealing with difficulties, I think, uh, I'm not sure if I'm saying it quite the same way you are, but does that have to do with watching our reaction to the situation and trying to understand how we're reacting and to try to get more present instead of thinking Ab about it in the way that makes us suffer? Ab absolutely. That's a great question. Yeah, it's all about, you know, when we talked about, um, the answer is yes. That what we're talking about is the first thing we engage is, is mindfulness. You know, and that's why we encourage everyone to have a daily practice of shamatha or calm abiding, because we've got to have a firm foundation that everything else is going to come out of. So the first thing we do when we're encountering difficulties is, is definitely engage our mindfulness so that we know what is happening. We see clearly what is happening. We um, have space in which to look rather than to be reactive. And then it depends on what our daily practice is. So if our daily practice is, is shamatha, then what we're going to be doing is looking clearly and letting go and returning to the present or returning to the breath. If our practice is uh, sending and receiving, or Tong Len, then we begin with looking clearly 
seeing clearly, and then sending and receiving. If our practice is uh, a deity practice, again, it's the same. We begin with mindfulness, with looking and seeing, and then we can uh, engage with the mantra. But it all depends on what our practice is. But again, it, it's all of us need to have uh, a firm foundation of daily shamatha practice. And then when we encounter difficulties, be able to engage mindfulness. So did that answer your question? Okay. Okay, well, thank you. It's 12.30, so we're out of time, but thanks for those great questions. Um, thank you for being here. Again, thanks for your attention and interest. Um, let's just take a moment to silently dedicate the merit through our being here, listening to the teachings, contemplating them, and practicing. May we generate a sincere aspiration to tame the mind, wake up, and liberate others. May we establish and maintain a daily meditation practice. May our daily practice lead us to complete Buddhahood. And having attained Buddhahood, may we manifest in order to guide all beings to liberation from suffering. Okay, thank you.